Hi, and welcome to Inglewood Presbyterian Church in Kirkland, Washington. We are a church for the neighborhood, whether you're a local neighbor or from far away, all are welcome here. We are pleased to present to you our weekly Sunday sermons. Our head pastor is James Cuman, and you can find more information about us on our website at inglewoodpc.org. And then two, two through ten, I think. No, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Having purified your souls by the, your obedience to the truth for a sincerely brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up in salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The word of the Lord. This is good news to us that we have received mercy and brought to you who are good and great and glorious and gracious beyond what we are able to take in but help us in even in this time this this hour with lunch more than an hour together help us experience you open us up to bring you let you come in God, that we not just know about you, but truly know you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. I had a very distinct experience of Creole, many through my life, but one in particular, I remember when I was about five years old, just this moment of instant knowledge of what I wanted at the grocery store. Because I was with my mom, and we were walking along, and there in the baking aisle, as angels sang, up above, higher than I could have reached, so I needed a little help, were the chocolate chips. And just instantly, my five-year-old self, I, the, the, perfect, the perfect conclusion to this day would be chocolate chip cookies at home. I mean, what could be better? And I'm not sure what came over my mom, but she actually bought the chocolate chips. This was not how this usually went, but she actually purchased the chocolate chips, and we brought them home, and I don't know, some, you know, stupid adult excuse that they're too busy or, you know, not enough time, but the chocolate chips were not to be baked that particular evening, and I was disappointed, and I remember all this because of how the story ends, so stay with me. I kept asking, and I'm sure I was a very polite and only occasionally asked five-year-old, but I kept asking, and I, the reason I know I kept asking is because finally, after some amount of time, it may have been days, of not getting chocolate chip cookies, and they're right up on the shelf, I took matters into my hands, literally, and I, after my mom picked me up for kindergarten, before she then took me to daycare to uh, go off to her uh, evening shift at the hospital, she worked three to, three to 11, she sat me down for lunch, and I got a stool, climbed up, got seven chocolate chips, stuffed my pockets with chocolate chips, because I was not going to be denied this chocolate. Those were coming with me to daycare. I was. Which went about as well as you think it might have gone well with chocolate chips in the pocket. Uh, I got to the daycare, and uh, as was usual, it was nap time. I reached the end. There may be a few cotton threads in there, but I shoved them under my pillow for nap time and got caught and didn't get more than about one bite of chocolate chips. I was so. I knew what would satisfy me. I had tasted that one bite of chocolate chips and was denied. And I still remember the story to this day. It's to be denied this thing that I, I longed for so, so very much. See, we all experience a, a number of, of cravings through life. We, we have things that we want, that we think rightly or wrongly will satisfy us. And Peter here, the central image in this text is of this the baby that longs for milk. I've seen two kids born, and I've watched the same process on video several times, and it's amazing, this little bundle of biological need that can't do anything for itself, right? It can't even hold its head. This little, just weak, utterly homeless, Person, if you, when the baby is born and in the States, usually cleaned up a little bit and then put on the mom, this baby is somehow miraculously able to sort of like worm its way over to get fed. It will actually move its 
right? Uh, it's amazing because it's not really in control. I mean, you've seen kids looking at their hands, right? Like, yeah, they're, they're not quite sure these are there. Like, they're not, they have to learn that they can control these things. And there's these feet down there, right? Like, but right from the beginning, there is a craving for pure milk that will not be denied. It's deeply instinctual. And the first time I saw it on video, I was just, I was flabbergasted that a newborn would be able to move like that and latch on. And again, this is the image that Peter uses, that we who have been brought to Jesus, we who have experienced God, have, have tasted his goodness, one of the marks of that is that we will crave more and more of him. And it is right and good and utterly necessary that we do that. There's nothing to be ashamed of in the baby wanting milk. There's nothing to be ashamed of in us wanting more and more and more and more of his goodness in our lives. Peter here is quoting from Psalm 34, where David has had a uh, really quite remarkable encounter, which we'll not go into uh, this morning. But uh, if you ever want to read David's biography, it's one of the most amazing pieces of ancient literature. Go back to 1 Samuel and just read the story. He ends up in this uh, Philistine city, and to sort of escape from a predicament, he pretends that he's crazy, which if you read the story of David, maybe that's not such a stretch, but he pretends that he's crazy. And, and he manages to sort of get out of this escape. And then he writes this psalm to celebrate the way that God has pulled his back out of the fire and rescued him from this danger. And he just sings, sings just to all the people who will listen to him or read this psalm to praise him, to with him, to enjoy just how good God is to the people who trust him. And he gives this climactic line, taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't just know about God as a, a fact, like, yeah, I believe that God exists, and then move on with your life. No, 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 no. Taste. Experience. Don't be satisfied with some sort of just esoteric factual knowledge. Take God in. I've known for, for a long time that Columbia uh, coffee is good. And uh, when I went down to Columbia last year, I had every expectation of drinking some really good coffee. And, and I, I did. I did not have a single cup of bad coffee. There were no folders to be had anywhere. It was all good coffee every single cup but what's interesting is that in Colombia there's there's an element where there's not actually quite as much of the sort of coffee culture that we have here in the sense of in Seattle we, we have people who are I mean they will like change the grind on the coffee by like microns to sort of adjust for the flavor of a particular bean and adjusting the, the roast and adjusting the, the water temperature ever so slightly just to draw every like little you know 
playboy that they can get out of these things, and, and which which I, I enjoy. But what's interesting is that's what we have to do in the United States with relatively old beans. In Colombia, it's all good. So you can just grind that sucker up, put it in some water, and it's it's fine. It's all good coffee. But I was at the Bogota airport on my way back up to Seattle at the end of the trip last year, and in the international wing of the Bogota airport, I saw as I walked by a coffee shop that was not like the others. A coffee shop where on the counter were pour-over stations and other things that told me, this might be a place that pays attention to the grind, and this might well be a, a truly exceptional cup of coffee. But I was not satisfied with just the sort of awareness that this, this may be true. I, I wanted to experience it for myself, and I was right. It was, it was really good coffee. I met Jesus in an entire But you see, upon sipping that coffee, I knew the goodness of that coffee in a way that would have never been true any other way. I had to actually take it in. And that's what Peter wants us to do in our relationship with God. You have been born again through this undying, imperishable, unfound word. This good news of the gospel that's come to you. You've God's begun to, He's reached into your heart, begun to change you and, and make you more whole, to, to begin to knit together the things that have become unraveled in you. He's begun to, to change you and, and make you more the person that He created you to be, to both be a blessing to others and enjoy Him and this imperishable word that you've tasted, that you've begun. He's telling us, dive in for more of that. Keep going. Taste, if you've tasted that the Lord is delicious. Crave this pure spiritual milk. And in the context, it's this news that was given to you. Crave it more. And not because, sorry, not because it's a one-time thing. It's not a one-time thing. It's how you grow up into the salvation that has already been given you. Many of us in this room, let me back up, all of us in this room experience different paths to God. Jesus comes into our lives in a variety of ways. Some of us have come to God through a particular defining moment of a crisis and a prayer confession and God came in, and, and that's how we experienced. And some of us, it was a more gradual, different moments of turning and turning and turning and until finally we realized that we're, we're his. And uh, for some of you, you're still on the journey and trying to figure out who Jesus is and whether he's someone you, he, you want in your life. But however we have come to him, if we've tasted that he is good, the invitation is to dive in and experience more. And at an amazing level, this certainly involves taking in scripture. 
this certainly involves finding some way to feed yourself on the words of Scripture. The problem is that the you know, Peter's doing what he's telling us to do. He's quoting Scripture as he's encouraging us to crave more of God. You notice that? At the very least, we, we need to feed on words because, after all, if we are in a genuine, loving, warm relationship with someone, we read their texts and emails. Most of them. We'll ghost on other people, but if we actually have somebody in our life that's good to us and with us, we, we, we read what they write. And so at a basic level, of course, we will want to, day by day, grow in, in our hunger for the words of God and promises that God's Spirit works through the words of Scripture to, to begin to change us and grow us and make us whole. But mere words, mere words, if we, if we leave the words of the Bible and we only leave them as words, that's, that's not the full experience that Peter's inviting us into. He's writing, as we've seen, if you've been with us the last few weeks, he's writing to people whose life is tough. Their lives are hard. They are, many of them, displaced. No doubt, some of the Christians he's writing to did, in fact, grow up in those various cities and, and provinces of Asia, what we know as the nation of Turkey now. But those churches were, it would seem, the best guess we can make is that those churches were largely started by folks who were displaced, who were kicked out of Rome or otherwise traveled in, who weren't native to those cities, who, and Peter invites all of his readers, whether they were born in Bithynia or Pontus or Asia, or whether they were literally exiled there, regardless, he invites them to consider themselves, to, to recognize that they are, because they're part of the family of God, going to be out of place, out of sync, and life is difficult. But it's this craving for God and filling ourselves with Him that is going to grow us up into the salvation that has been given us. And so at the very least, of course, Scripture, of course, direct prayer and conversation with God. But he notice where he goes next. And this is all linked together. He says, you are being built together as a temple, a place to meet God. You're as like stones, which is a little ironic because you know Peter was the rock, and he's like, no, no, you're, we're all we're all getting built together on the cornerstone of Jesus. You're being built together. You have a responsibility for family, sibling, brother, sister, love. All of this that's being given to you is for the sake of your love for each other being built up together and. That's the opportunity we have to help each other take in this good news, to take in this spiritual milk that will grow us up into salvation. There's a lot of sort of frameworks and ways to conceive of this, but I, I deeply appreciate the way that Tim Chester and others have framed this, that it's a really helpful way of, of remembering and actually using this, is that 
we can take and in your bulletins, there's a piece of paper. We take some, some just basic, four basic truths about God. Four basic aspects of this goodness of God that we've tasted and begun to experience that as we crave and as we drink, as we take in and begin to, to change us. And so in this, ignore the top line, we'll get to it in a moment in your pastoral care, but belief that God is great can be sort of an abstract idea. Like, yeah, I think, I think God's great. Like, He's in control. If we articulate that with our mouth, that's one thing, but to take that truth and begin to work it down into our hearts is a whole different and much more life-giving thing. And so in this chart, he, this is from Tim Chester, one of his books, he says that some indications that you may not be taking that truth in, that God is great, he's in control, he's not just good, he's not just nice, he's uniquely great. Are we inflexible or risk averse? Are we impatient with people? Why would we be impatient with somebody else in our life? Think through this for just a moment. What's going on in our hearts when we're impatient with someone else? Hmm? Class. <laughs> Okay, frustrated with some way they didn't do something right or did. Hmm? Okay, yeah, judging them like you should, fill in the blank, or should not, fill in the blank. Okay, yeah, what are some other reasons we could be impatient with people or inflexible with people? But yeah, different than our expectations. I thought I told you. My plan, exactly. My plan was, and you're not fulfilling my plan. Yes. But do you see how a functional belief, not just abstract, like, yeah, 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 God's in control, but a functional belief that God is sovereign and good begins to undercut that. So if my plan gets interrupted, and yeah, that will frustrate all kinds of things in me, right there with you. But in those moments, and I don't always do this, but in those moments where I take a step back and like, okay, God is sovereign, I am not. My plan was just frustrated, but God's plan was not. See how it begins to undercut all those negative emotions and winding up that I am so perfectly capable of doing to myself. Okay, God's control. I'm not. I can relax and let him be in control. And then maybe do some really furious hard praying about why things are not working. He's fine with the conversation, but we can relax. Let's go down to God is good. Some contrary indications that he suggests here, right? Like you feel that your ministry, your service to others, think of this broadly. You are just the things you do for other people are just a burden. Uh, why do I have to do all this stuff? Whatever the stuff is in any of our particular lives. 
right? You complain, make people feel a burden of duty on their side. We don't stick with things. We sort of slough off and find something better because we're always, you know, the grass has always got to be greener somewhere. So again, we can articulate with our mouths, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. Well, if we're doing this, we may say it with our mouth, but we're not taking it in. So again, one more time, and then we'll move on. How might a belief that God is good, really, really good, not just with our lips good, but really good, begin to undercut some of these tendencies? Yeah, some gratitude, right? We like, okay, God is okay, God is good. No, he's 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 really good. Right? I, if I don't have what I'm wanting, the the thing I'm complaining about not having, I might take a step back and okay, if God is good and sovereign, and if I don't have the thing that I think is good, but he's good, maybe there's a reason, and maybe I won't know the reason, but maybe there's a reason which starts to undo the complaining attitude in my heart. Do you begin to see how this works? By looking to these truths about God's character, who he is, it begins to undercut and take away these frenzies that we work ourselves into. This, because ultimately the pure milk we long for is God himself, which is I think, the power of, of this, that if we can take ourselves in those moments where we're all a tizzy and come back to the truth of who he really is, that begins heal us, because he begins to heal us. There's a thing about this word that Peter uses, the pure spiritual male. Normally, the word spiritual in the Bible, when it's translated, is almost always uh, literally the word spiritual. You have pneumatic terms that have air in them, pneumatos, pneumatikos. This one actually is logikos, related to the word logos. It's really a difficult word to translate. You can say logical, that would get a little bit of the sort of, uh, you know, the closest English language, logicos, logical, that's yeah, part of it. The, the, the melt that's according to the word of God, like, kind of, the best way, I, and this is something I've spent quite a while looking at, the best way I've found to translate is, crave the milk of the new reality that God is inviting me into. The new reality, not your old life, the new reality of the God who loves you, who came at Christmas, became one of us, lived a life that we spent eternity learning from, died for you, is now resurrected, reigns in power, is praying for you. Because he loves you. Not just loves you, but he likes you. He likes you. He loves you. And is sovereignly working powerfully for you. And friends, if we can absorb that 
milk in and work it into the depths of our heart, that changes everything. One more piece of this. Peter invites us to work together as God's people. You can take this home and work on that yourself, and by all means, I uh, encourage you to do that. But uh, on the old community table in the back, I have a photocopy handout. I would invite you. Do you feel so led? If you don't, that's fine. Do as God has made you to do. But this is available. I would encourage you to grab one of these and get together with a friend over coffee or dinner or breakfast or whatever and help each other. Pastor each other. Encourage each other to grab hold of this richness of God himself and see what he do in your life to grow you up into the salvation the wholeness, the rescue, the healing that is already yours. I look forward to your stories. Amen. Please stand and rise for the song of response. Jesus shall reign. It's you we want, Lord, more than anything, even when we forget that it's you we want. So bring us back again and again and again to you, to who you are, that your, your goodness, your greatness, your grace, your glory will heal us.
make us whole. And Lord, we ask you to give us this gift of being for each other, ones who help remind we we're all in need of you, your Holy Spirit, and each other. So open us up to you. And Lord, as you give us opportunities to, to speak with others who are in the family and those who have no idea who you are, we pray that again, these truths of you would be day by day more and more alive and rich and full for us. Lord, we pray that your provision, it's in your greatness that you provide, your sovereign goodness that you give. And so we, we simply ask, Lord, for all the things we need and the questions that we have. We pray, Lord, for the just basic needs of our bodies, for us in this room and our family and friends and neighbors for food on the table and clothes on our backs, on our roof, over our head, and ways to give and serve and love. Lord, we pray for healing and wholeness for our minds and hearts and bodies. Some of us here and others we know, Lord, there are unreconciled relationships where forgiveness needs to happen. And we, Lord, please work both through us and just sovereignly through your spirit. We pray for healing for our bodies, again, for us and your sovereign, miraculous intervention. Make us bold to continue to act. we would see your work and trust you more and more and talk about you to share what you do. We pray for our brothers and sisters in, in Colombia as many of us are going from Seattle or going there. We pray, Lord, for your continued work here on Finn Hill through each of us. <laughs> Pray for our friends in Logos and Bethany Church and all those who worship you in spirit and in truth, in homes and in buildings like this. That you'd be honored through all who are your own. And day by day, Lord, we pray you would continue to bring us more and more into an awareness of just how much you offer. And so, 